morning we come to the end of our summer preaching series called Cultivating Community, and, and you've been part of the whole thing, some of you, I know there's probably been some that have been out of town. I started the series to, with an aim to foster a closer community in this church, and then I left for six weeks, so that's the kind of guy I am. Um, but I know that you've been exhorted and encouraged week after week um, for the past six weeks to increasingly see the church, not just as a place that you go on Sundays or Wednesdays, not just as an event that you attend, but as a people, a family to whom you belong and on whom you depend in real ways. And so this, this flock is where we're to give and to receive comfort and encouragement. And you've been challenged in those ways. Our tongues are to be instruments of life to one another. We're to be open and honest with one another, confessing sin to one another. And that's, that sincerity and, and, and uh, unguarded nature of community has been encouraged. Graciousness, last week, must flavor all of our relationships in the church. So I'm grateful that that's all part of community cultivation in in this church, and that's how you've been encouraged. And so, if you remember back to the very beginning of this series, though, eight weeks ago, we, we said that we're not called to create community, we're called to cultivate it. That God has created it. God has objectively made us one. He's made us members of one body in Jesus Christ. We are connected at the heart, whether we feel like it or not. This is, this is the reality. And so, our job is to is to cultivate the expression of that community in, in the actual life and experience of the church. And, and so this is why we have all of these exhortations and in commands in Scripture, how we relate to one another. And so you've been looking at that. Well, so today we come to the final message in this series. And it's not that there's not more that could be said uh, about how we relate to one another. We are just scratching the surface on this issue. Scripture says so much about, um, again, how community is fleshed out in a church. But today, we, we come to the end of the series, and we look at the big one. The big, most frequently repeated one another in Scripture, and it's to love one another. This word, if you know no other words in the Greek language, you probably know the word agape. It's that word that we is most often used in the New Testament for love. And so it's very common to us, but it's, it was not a common word uh, before the New Testament in the Greek language. It was, wasn't newly created for, in the New Testament, but it wasn't, it wasn't common uh, word, not used in normal life. But Christians, under the Spirit's inspiration, they, they, they took it up, they made it the big word for, for how, we, how we relate to one another. And so it's used uh, almost 120 times in the New Testament, over 75 times just by the Apostle Paul. And so if, if there's a, there, you've probably heard agape love defined different ways, but there, this is one definition, uh, and, and I think it gets to the, to the gist of it. A caring, self-sacrificing commitment which shows itself by seeking the highest good of the one loved. So a caring, self-sacrificing commitment which shows itself by seeking the highest good of the one loved. I'm just going to give you a, a few quick summary statements of the New Testament's teaching on love. This is not at all an exhaustive list. I just think these are critical as we get a run up into 1 Corinthians 13. And I can't even comment on these and, and show you biblical support. I had all this in my notes and I left like two pages on the cutting room floor last night. 
as we just don't have time. But let me just state them. First, love begins with God. God is love. And, and so in 1 John 4, 9, we love because he first loved us. So, so love, its source, the, 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 the fountainhead is God. Second, love is both produced in us and commanded of us. So it's the fruit of the, the Spirit's work in our life, Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's where it begins. And it's also commanded of us over and over. Love one another. Love one another. This is the greatest commandment. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. So many places throughout Scripture commanded to love, but it's also something that God produces in us. Third, the kind of love the Spirit produces in us and that God commands of us is most perfectly modeled by Jesus Christ. And the, and the pinnacle of that demonstration of love is the cross of Christ. And we've been singing about that today. And so if you really want to know love, look to the cross. Look to Jesus. Fourth, love is the Christian's uniform. If you go to Home Depot wearing an orange t-shirt, you're going to get a bunch of people asking you electrical and plumbing questions. Uh, this has happened to me. Uh, but, but love is our orange shirt. This is, this is how we're identified, Jesus says in John 13. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then finally, again, not finally, but finally for my list, love is something we must pursue. Something we must pursue. And that brings us to our passage today. The most profound and beautiful words ever written on the subject of love is what, is what we're looking at, what Van read just a moment ago, 1 Corinthians 13. Now, we were rightly told, some of us were anyway, if you listen to Christian music in the early 90s, uh, by a band called DC Talk. And if you don't know who they are, you're either too young or too old to know that or, 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 or what. But DC Talk, they, they, you, know, you may know Toby Mack, who's my kids still like. They're, they were just dumbfounded that I listened to him when I was a kid. Uh, He's still around, but and uh, Michael Tate was the newsboys. But D- DC Talk, they had a song called Love is a Verb. And uh, down with the DC Talk, some of you stuck in your head, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm not rapping it, sorry. This is a Christian rap group in the early 90s. Uh, this is not the good days of Christian rap. Um, but the, the point of the song was good. Love isn't just a feeling. It's not warm fuzzies. It's not just words we say, oh, I love you. Now, love is a verb. It's something we do. It's active. It's, it shows up in, in how we behave and in, in our actions. But, but my title is kind of a play on that. Love is a noun. It's also a noun. It is a verb, but it's also a noun. In our passage today, there's not, there's not a verb form of the word love here. Now, as we'll see, love's action, that verb aspect of love is clear because of all the words that are used to describe love in verses 4 to 7. They are verbs in the Greek. Some of them look like predicate adjectives in the, in the English language, in our, in our English translations. But, so it is active. But, but, but while love can't be reduced to sentimental feelings and to, and to just kind of empty words, it also can't be reduced to simply good deeds. It, Paul says it's not, it's not just something we do. Well, I don't, I'm just going to do some loving thing. No, it's not just something we do. It's something we have. If you don't have love, your deeds are nothing. It's an object that we pursue. It's, it's a way that is excellent that we follow. So love is a verb, but it's also a noun. 
And so here's, here's the situation in Corinth. There were, this church had many things going for it. They, they had spiritual gifts galore. They were present. They were used. It had sound doctrine for the most part. But there was something that was lacking. Significant. And it was love. They were selfish. They were, they were passionate about promoting their own personal interest in, in, in the congregation. So Paul writes to correct this glaring problem and other problems as well. It's not the, but, but not the least of which was their low regard for love of one another. Chapter 12, Paul, this section in chapters 12 to 14, he's really dealing with some of these these, these bigger struggles they had. In chapter 12, he deals with the giving and receiving and the interrelatedness of spiritual gifts in the church. That every believer has been given a gift for the building up of the church. And so he makes that very clear. Then in chapter 14, he deals with the right exercise of those gifts, particularly those language gifts, tongues and prophecy. And, and, and then, then you have chapter 13 in the middle. And, it, and it, it, you read through it and you say, man... Seems a little different than the others. It, some have called chapter 13 a, a digression um, in, in Paul's argument. But it's not. It's the very core of his argument. This is essential to the case that he's making because his point is that the main thing is not the exercise of gifts. It's love. That's, that's what needs to guide you in everything. So chapter 12 ends with these words. Earnestly desire the higher gifts like prophecy but he says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And that more excellent way is chapter 13, is love. And then in chapter 14, the very first words we read are, after this just incredible description of love, he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And so here's, here's the thing that we need to see from this passage, is that love is worth pursuing. I know we think, oh, love, I've heard so many passages of love, and yeah, love, that's, that's for lightweights, that's not a big deal. We want truth. No, love is worth pursuing. It is, it is, it is the excellent way. That's what the church in Corinth needed to get. That's what this church on Corinth Road needs to get. This is the excellent way. The, the way of love is so excellent, it is worth going after with everything we have. And so he says, pursue it. This, this verb means to, to strive after. In, in other contexts, it's used negatively as, as to persecute, to stalk. So you, that's how we need to go after love and not a casual pursuit, but this active, passionate, zealous pursuit. And it's an imperative, brothers and sisters, which you know what that means. It's a command. It's not optional. It's not that that's just for some. No, this is, this is for this is a command. The other side of that, though, to say it's a command, is it can be obeyed. You may not have, you may not be the most gifted person in the church. You may not have those, those gifts that seem to stand out and to, and to give, give you a, this great platform for very public ministry, and that is okay. But you know what? You can love. That is available to every single person in here. Now, however, however you, your, whatever your gift set is, however, whatever realm God has placed you, and it may seem small and insignificant, but you can, can obey the Lord by pursuing love. That's, that's great. That's hope in that command. Also, notice that it's, it's this present tense imperative, meaning 
It's continuous. This is to be the habit of our life. This is the pursuit that's to, 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 to dominate, to characterize our lives. And then finally, it's plural. It's plural. It's a command to the church, to us. One body with many members. It's not just for you as an individual, but it's for us as a corporate body to obey this together. And so, the question. So that's the, that's a, love is worth pursuing. Now the question is, why is it so excellent? Why is it worth pursuing? And that's what he shows in chapter 13. There are three reasons that love is worth pursuing. I'll just list them now and we'll come back to them. One, because the lack of love amounts to nothing. Secondly, because the luster of love is beyond compare. And then third, because the longevity of love is everlasting. We'll spend most of our time on that second reason, the very centerpiece of this chapter, but we'll hit on the others briefly. First thing, reason love is worth pursuing is because the lack of love amounts to nothing. Verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Every single thing we do as Christians must be done in love. Or it amounts to nothing. You can have right theology. You can lead a strict and disciplined life. You can lead your home like a well-oiled machine and get everybody falling in line. You can, you can be morally unimpeachable. You can, you can uh, run yourself ragged doing church programs and ministries. You can teach or participate in 50 Bible studies a week. You can live frugally and give generously. You can be involved in all kinds of social work, but you have love zero. It amounts to nothing. Corinthian church was proud of its spiritual gifts and its good deeds. That's very evident in this letter. They had sound doctrine, as I said, for the most part. There were corrections that needed to be made. They had good preachers. They gave to the needy, but they were loveless. And so he says, I speak with the tongue of men. If the best words uttered on earth or given from heaven are only noise. It's just noise without love. And the greatest spiritual gift next to apostleship, prophecy, it's, it's nothing void of love. All the knowledge in the world, access to all the mysteries that are revealed from heaven, not just some of them, but all of them. We, we, you know, if we wonder if we don't have all the knowledge, just think of the thousands and thousands of laboratories that are doing research right now just to learn more. We know very little. But if we had all knowledge and we knew all the mysteries that God could reveal to us from heaven, without love it would benefit a zero. Now you think if that's true, if all knowledge and all wisdom, all revelation, all mysteries without love is nothing, what, what about us with our little limited biblical and theological insights that we have? And we feel are so vast, but they're, but without love, those are nothing. Knowledge without love is worse than mere ignorance. It's spiritual snobbery. It's full of pride and, and arrogance. Now, spiritual knowledge, I'm just not to mock knowledge and 
and mysteries and spiritual knowledge is good and it is beautiful when it's held in humility and ministered in love. It's not putting one against the other, but it's ugly and it's fruitless when love is absent. So as Paul says elsewhere in this letter, mere knowledge, even of God's truths, it puffs up, it makes arrogant. It's, it does nothing for edification if it's not accompanied with, by love. And then he goes on, all the, all the mountain-moving faith you can have is nothing without love. And you can have a yard sale, sell all your earthly possessions and give it away. You can, you can be so generous that you're a penniless beggar. You can even give your body up to, to, to be burned and martyrdom and, and not have love. And it's, it's nothing. What he's saying you, you, in, in, in math, we know that you multiply any number times zero and you have zero. Um, That was like when I saw any, that was like, that was when I felt good in math, when I can answer those questions. When I was learning multiplication, I was like, oh, thank you. I know the zero times tables. (laughs) Um, But but there's an equation here. The greatest gifts in the world, the greatest good deeds in the world, uh, plus the greatest good deeds in the world, minus love, zero every time. It always works out. So, so you could you could imagine dropping two hundred thousand dollars you have laying around on uh, some custom hot rod. You put the biggest engine in it. You get this thing tweaked up. This is a ferocious driving machine that's just built for speed. It's got power, and you put that thing out on the road without gas. What's it going to do? It's nothing without love it's nothing without gas so it is so it is for us without love our lives this church you can have all kinds of christian impressive christian abilities and 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 christian achievements but done without love they're nothing and so it is with our church we can have a big budget and have nice facilities and these are good things and we can send and support dozens of missionaries and be known as a great teaching church and have great events and put on a top-notch institute and we can it, but it's all nothing without love. I'm not saying that it is. We have no love. I'm just saying that this is the this is the the warning for us. Love is the thing that is the most excellent way. He comes back to this letter which shows us shows me that this is what he really wants to leave with the Corinthians. He ends the letter with this Exhortation, 1 Corinthians sixteen fourteen. Let all, all that you do be done in love. It's not stop doing those things, but let it be done in love. Because it's nothing if it's, if it's not. Second, why is love worth pursuing? Love is worth pursuing because the, the luster, the, the glow, the, 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 the beauty of love is beyond compare. He describes with, with incredible eloquence his jewel of, of love. He holds it up in the light and it's just like this prism that just shines these beautiful colors and, and they come out in verses 4 to 7. We see this beautiful glow, this luster of love. Verse 4, words that are so familiar to us, but, but don't let that familiarity uh, take away the, 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 the beauty of this passage and the power of it. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So let's, let's quickly 
Let the colors just kind of come through that prism and let's see what, how, how Paul describes this jewel of love. First thing, love is patient. We could say it like this. Love has a long fuse. Love has a long, slow fuse. This isn't talking about a general ability to wait. I realize some of you are better than that. Some of you, uh, you know, you, to boil water, it's just like you've, uh, you know, fought a war or something like that. Because patience is so difficult with circumstances like that. But that's not, that's not really what he's talking about. He's talking about patience with people. Particularly people who, who kind of irritate you. So, the, so they say love is it's, it's, it's long-suffering. It's enduring personal offenses without retaliating. It's, it's bearing with other people's imperfections and faults. And even, even just differences. It's different. Being patient. It's giving other people time to change, room to grow, room to make mistakes without coming down on them. And so love, love waits patiently. Why? Because, because we know that God is in control and, and, and He's at work in, in lives. So it, when, we, when we're impatient with people, what we are really doing is we're resenting God's timetable. We're saying, God, we, we don't trust in your power and your timing to change the situation, this person. And so, so we can praise God. He's so patient with us, but we're so, we can be quick, slow, slow to show that patience to others. Love, love is patient. Second, love is kind. Or say it this way, love is being a happy helper. That was a word we used often growing up in our, in our home. Happy helper. Kind comes from the Greek word, just means useful or helpful. And so a kind person's helpful. It's, it's graciously and actively doing good and being helpful to other people. It's seeking out needs, looking for ways and opportunities to, to, to meet those needs with no thought of anything in return. That's kindness. It's quietly helping people in practical ways. And when you see an aspect of love like this, and there may be others in this list, and, and as we've been talking about community, you, you might think some of the most loving and kind people I know aren't even believers. You know, there's, there's this group, and they're, they're so kind, and we, we're, there's unkindness in church. And, and so we, we may think like that. But listen, love, this love, this kindness that, that we're talking about here is not natural to man. This is the work, as we said earlier, the work of God's Spirit in us and through us. Unbelievers can be extremely nice people. But nice is a, is a choice that we make. You can, and some people make that choice frequently and, and wonderfully, maybe more than we do. Um, but, and I don't want to mock and I want to belittle the, uh, what, what you may experience in other social settings and say that that's, that's nothing and that's insignificant. No, but that's God's grace, but it's His common grace among all men that God has worked through laws and conscience and, and natural means to... to bring some order and kindness and relationship and, and, and community. But, but the love that we're to pursue is only available by God's special grace. This is His work in us to change us from the inside. It's not niceness. It's spirit-wrought love that is patient and kind. Uh, third, love, love does not envy. To borrow the words of Shakespeare, love slays the green-eyed monster. 
the jealous, the envious person. It wants what other people have. It wants their money. It wants their possessions. It wants their position. It wants their reputation. It wants their standing, their success, their beauty, their talent. It's, it's envious of others. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't get excited when other people succeed. It, just, it grows just angry and, and jealous and, and bitter. But love, it's, it's not bothered by the success of others. It, it cheers for our brothers and sisters to do well. We want to see that. And so, so envy, this is, this, is a, this is a deadly sin. James says this is a source of so many quarrels in the church. He, he says in James 4 verse 2, it's, it's jealousy. So much fighting. Love is not jealous. Next, love does not boast and it is not arrogant. Bragging and arrogance. These are two very ugly twins here. They're related to one another. They both stem from selfishness and and they're the flip side of jealousy. So if jealousy is wanting what someone else has, bragging is trying to get them to be jealous of us for what we have. But but love is not like that. I, I say it this way, love isn't a windbag. Now, I know that sounds a little crude. You know where I found that was in one of my, my, my go-to Greek lexicon. And, and that, was the, that was the translation they got. Like, hey, I'm taking that. That's good. I could get in trouble for saying that, but I'm just quoting another reference. It's, uh, uh, it's not a windbag. There, there, are, there are many ways that pride is manifested, and every single one of them is counter to love. I know we think of pride, we think of the boastful braggart, the boisterous, loud, outspoken. Man, that's, you're so, such a proud person. Ugh. But you know what? There's, we all have our versions of pride. You know, self-pity is pride. You know, I'm thinking, to think that I, I deserve better than this and the situation that I am and the circumstances that I am, that, that can be pride. And so in all forms of pride are incompatible with love. Love is humble. A loving person understands that he or she, everything he or she has is, is undeserved gift from God. Love is not rude. Or we could say love has manners. Rude and the, the word just means anything inappropriate or, or dishonorable, indecent, disgraceful. That's the idea. So, 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 but love, it, it's not rude. It doesn't needlessly offend it's courteous, it's tactful, it's polite, it's aware of others, aware of the situation. It's not overbearing or thoughtless or, or crude. I just say we all need to remember this. When you're on social media and about to push that button to post something, pass along a little forwarded uh, story, is, is this rude? Is this, is this thoughtless? Is this really... Is building others up? Is it polite? Is it courteous? Is it tactful? Love is, love is not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Or say this, love lets others go first. It doesn't demand its rights. But we can so... This is so natural to us, isn't it? The selfishness and demanding our rights. We feel this sense of entitlement. Even in the church, we feel this, brothers and sisters. I feel like my, deserve, my voice deserves to be heard above others. And what I say matters more than what you have to say. What I'm thinking is certainly better than what you're thinking. Because, because I'm smarter, because I know more theology, because I've been here longer, because I'm younger, because I'm older. It just depends on the situation, how I rationalize that. But I want to insist on my own way. That's not love. Are you willing to let somebody else be right in a discussion or in an argument? 
Are you willing to concede that you might be wrong? When was the last time you admitted you were wrong? Can you keep your mouth quiet? Can you listen when someone else has something to say? Or are you regularly cutting people off? Are you willing to let others go first when resources are limited? Are you eager to give up your seat, even in this assembly? Sorry, I got a little close there at home, didn't I? I know. Uh, no, nobody fights me for my seat, so I don't have to worry about this one. Um, if you want to sit up here, by all means, join me. Yeah, it's great. Um, our attitude, again, needs to be like Christ, who, who, so that we, we not lo- don't look to our own interests, but to the interests of others, Philippians 2, 4. Next, love is not irritable. It's, it's not touchy. It's not easily angered. It doesn't have a hair-triggered temper. It's, it's not easily offended. It's not grumpy and grouchy and cantankerous. Now, I know the issue with irritation, we think the issue is how irritating other people are. <laughs> and they can be, can't they? We have people that irritate us. But the, the issue, according to love, is how irritable I am. How much that affects me. Love is not resentful. It doesn't, it doesn't keep a spreadsheet of offenses. This is an accounting word, resentful. It, it was used, of, it's used in, in the gospel context of, of God not crediting our guilt to us, but instead crediting or imputing Christ's righteousness to our account so that He treats us as righteous in Jesus Christ. But this is the same word. And the idea is love doesn't keep this ledger, this spreadsheet of wrongs and, and offenses against us and then bear a grudge until every one of those offenses is paid for. We keep track and we make them pay. Maybe by verbal outburst, or, or, but it may just be silent treatment or we just kind of internally we have this ledger that we're maintaining. Okay, well, they... They, were, they smiled at me, so I'll take a little bit off of this. Or, oh, no, man, I didn't like the way they looked at me. I'm adding a little bit back. Keep this ledger of wrongs. Love is not that way. Instead, it forgives. <laughs> forgives. doesn't try to gain the upper hand in a relationship by reminding people of things they've done wrong, of past wrongs, holding it over their head, using it against them. Also, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. I'd say this, love shares sin's sorrow and truth's joy. Love refuses to celebrate someone else's sin. It never is glad when others wander off and go astray and and, and do wrong. I know even in our day, when a celebrity preacher or something like that, we kind of, there's a little, all right, that's good. No. That's not love. If someone falls, someone we don't like even falls into sin, we we don't gloat, we grieve. This is how God thinks about sin. God is grieved over sin. And and if they repent, we rejoice. love, Love rejoices in the truth. Love gets excited about truth, rejoices in spiritual victories. And so... So it ought to be our habit, the, the habit of love is to encourage others by expressing joy over the smallest evidences of grace in another person's life. It's rejoicing in truth. John modeled this, Third John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's what should rejoice our hearts, what God is doing. Love bears all things. The idea of His word is, is to cover 
or to conceal, most, most likely has the idea of, of concealing the faults of others instead of proudly exposing them. Love, love protects. It always conceals. It doesn't, doesn't broadcast the sins and the faults and the weakness of others. doesn't mean that, it, that we lie about weaknesses, and, and, and it, but it, it just means we don't deliberately expose them, particularly for our gain. It protects. Love believes all things. It assumes the best. It isn't suspicious or cynical. It doesn't, doesn't mean that we're gullible or undiscerning and just kind of turn our brains off and just, you know, just believe everything. But it just means that we don't assume the worst about everyone. We give benefit of the doubt. Love hopes all things. It always is looking ahead to, to the ultimate triumph of God's grace. It, gives, it, it hopes in situations that seem hopeless, humanly speaking. But, it, but, but, but So giving up hope is a failure to love. Think about that, because love, love hopes. Love isn't pessimistic. There, there's this godly optimism. It's not, it doesn't ignore reality. It doesn't our clo- close our eyes to, to real problems and, and difficulties, but it rests on the promises of God that he is working all things together for the good of those who love him and, uh, and are called according to his purpose. Love endures all things. Just say simply, love plods. It just... It just sticks. It stays. It, it's not fatalistic resignation. Well, okay, I just got to endure this person or this. No, but it's this active positive fortitude. It's, this word is used in other contexts of a soldier who's, who's, who's in the thick of battle, refuses to stop or to turn back, just keeps marching towards the fight. This is, this is love. It hangs in there with people. It, there, there, there's an epidemic problem, I think, of Christians bailing out of tough situations. I know this is a temptation that I face. People, people don't like something that happens in the church, so they, they, they go somewhere else, look for somewhere else where they can find something to their liking. Love endures. I'm not saying that every time you leave a church it's, it's because you're bailing or not enduring, but I'm saying this is, this is not uncommon. So there's the picture. There's this beautiful picture of love, verses 4 to 7. This is how love acts. Who, who can love like this? <laughs> Raise your hand if this is you. <laughs> some kid probably didn't just raise hand okay no uh, they might do better than me uh, the, 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 none of us can do this on our own but there is one who loves like this in painting this portrait of love Paul is essentially painting a portrait of Christ isn't he when you put Christ in there Christ is patient kind not jealous, does not brag, it's not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, and so on. This is Jesus. This is this is this is Jesus. He's, again, he perfectly models this love that we're called to to demonstrate. Four, third, and finally, love is wise love worth pursuing quickly. Because the longevity of love is everlasting, and I'll basically just read these last verses. I'm not gonna I know there are issues that come up and gifts and uh, cessation and and continuationism and all these things that come up, we're not even touching that. We just want us to see the beauty of love and why it's worth pursuing, which is, I think, Paul's point here. He says in verse 8, love never ends. Love has staying power. I know some translations maybe say love never fails. 
I think ends is a better translation. He's not talking about success. It's not like love is a secret weapon that makes everything okay. You know, it's not, it's not a magic formula. We sprinkle a little love in a complex situation and a sticky situation. And, and with a little love, everything's going to work out just fine. If that was the case, then Jesus was a failure. <laughs> if he is the perfect demonstration of love and he is if he is the portrait of love he got in a situation the disciples are arguing with each other and yelling at each other and fighting for position and everybody hates him and at the end he's ridiculed mocked and and finally crucified and people abandon him and so if 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 love is this magic formula that makes everything better and happy then clearly it's not but love, what he's saying is, is talking about the permanence of love. Love endures against, against the shelf life of spiritual gifts that were the be-all and end-all in the Corinthian church and, and that they put so much stock in. He says, no, love is the thing that lasts. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I grew up, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So this conclusion is this. So faith, hope, and love, these are the big ones. These abide, these three. But then the greatest of these is love. This is, this is the excellent way that we must pursue so he says the next words pursue love go hard after it make this your lifelong pursuit brothers and sisters love now that is a dangerous pursuit isn't it you've been involved in the church for any length of time you know this love is risky this kind of community it's it's nice to say but it's it it brings risk it's scary to really see the church, not just as a place I go and I retreat back to my home. No, I, I'm a family. I'm here. This is my family through thick and thin. And I am not going anywhere. And I'm here. And I'm not just going just gonna to identify with you. But I'm really going to depend upon you. And I really want you to depend upon me in very tangible, real, messy ways. That's scary. That's risky. But the reward is worth the risk. That's what Paul is, that's what he's saying. This is the, this is far more excellent way. It's worth pursuing. C.S. Lewis has a great quote on this, and I'm gonna just read this, and he says, there is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in the casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. So, it's risky, but it's better. 
So how do we respond to this call to pursue love in the couple minutes we have left here? We're going to pass around pledge cards. I'm never going to be unloving again. <laughs> that won't work. That won't, that won't work for five seconds till your neighbor asks to borrow a pen that's your favorite pen and you're afraid you'll mess it up. Are we going to just ignore it? You know, that sounds good, but that's pie in the sky. I've tried that. It doesn't work. It's, it's too much risk. I've been hurt too many times. It's nice to say, but I'm going to keep treating the church as a place to go, an event to attend. I'm not, I don't, I don't mean that sarcastically, brothers and sisters. I realize some of you may be there inside, whether you say that or not. I beg for the mercy of, by the mercy of God that the Spirit would soften your heart, receive this word from the Lord today. Or do you say, I see the greatness of love, but I can't do this. I need help. I can't do this alone. I need you to change me and to grow me, Lord. That's what he wants from us. How to grow? How do we grow in our pursuit of love? I need this. I need this desperately. I mean, this is one of many areas that the Lord has been working on my heart over the last six weeks. I thought what I needed going into this sabbatical was simply and only rest to work through some kind of acute, persistent discouragement that I couldn't seem to crawl my way out of. My goal for sabbatical, I thought, on the other end, I want to be happy again. I want joy. I want that. I want happiness. But God has been gracious. He has been gracious to me to show, to show me that more than lacking happiness, I I was lacking love. So I come back, not just ready to preach. I mean, I was excited to preach, but I'm also nervous. It's like a quarterback who hasn't thrown a ball in six weeks and getting the game. I don't just come back ready to preach or to lead or, I, in my heart. By God's grace, I'm, I'm, I come back ready to love, to love you. So by God's grace, I'll be growing in this because while I love him perfectly, you better believe it and you'll see it. And you have seen it. But, but, but pray for me. Pray for me as I have been praying for you. So how do, we, how do we grow, though, in this pursuit of love? First thing, confess your lack of love. Confess it to God. Stop making excuses for unloving attitudes and words and thoughts and actions. Own your sin. Own this sin before God and confess it to Him. Call it what it is. That you're disobeying Jesus by not loving others well. It's not their fault. It's not other person's fault that you're not loving. It's your, it's your own issue. You may also need to confess to those you've been sinning against. That's part of it. Second, how do we grow in this pursuit? Remove obstacles to love. Remove obstacles to love. First Timothy 1.5, Paul tells Timothy, love comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Is your heart impure? Is your conscience unclean? Is there duplicity in your faith, a lack of sincerity to your walk with God? If so, if, if you're harboring some secret sin, you cannot expect to live a life of love for others. It will always be elusive. So if there's an obstacle, get radical with that sin. Cut it off. Cut your hand, your eye. Gouge your eye out if it's causing you to sin. Third, 
How do we grow in this pursuit? Focus on God's love for you in Christ. This is what we've been doing this, this morning. I hope our, our love for others will grow in proportion to, to our understanding and appreciation of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. So Paul, this is what John, how he exhorts the, these believers in 1 John 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and anyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And in this is love, and in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. So love is the reason God sent Jesus to, to rescue us from sin. There's no, if there's no love, there's no gospel. It goes on, and, and this is love. You want to know what love is? Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. If God's, as, let, let God's love for you grow in your heart a love for others. And so, so, so again, the, the reality of God's unending, tireless, unrelenting love for you, it shouldn't, shouldn't make you abuse His kindness. It should move your heart to love others. So, so read scripture about God's love. Sing, listen to hymns and worship songs that, that, that's, that are about the, God's love and mercy and grace in Jesus Christ. Let the deep ocean of God's love become this reservoir that you are draw out of to love others well. It's not that you need your love tank full so that you can love others. No, the, the tank is God. We love because He loved us. Fourth, Saturate your mind with scriptures that describe love and show its importance. Read, meditate on, even memorize 1 Corinthians 13. Read it two times a day just this next week as a starting place. Read it every morning when you wake up and let it kind of give guidance to your day and, and let this, this, this give form to your day. And then in the afternoon and evening maybe, men or women, when you're coming home from work, uh, read it, prepare for what you're coming into or, or when the kids are taking their naps or before they get home from school, read this before the craziness of the night starts taking place. And say, so I want to I love. And so saturate your mind with, with this, this beauty of love. And then finally, fifth, identify someone that is hard for you to love and begin treating that person in a loving way. This is where it gets tricky. It may be somebody close to you. Start there. It may be a spouse. It may be a child. It may be a parent. It may be a friend or a neighbor or someone in this church. It may be someone who's different from you. There's different ethnicity, different lifestyle, different background, different interests. Maybe someone who disagrees with you. Maybe someone who just irritates you. So, so start treating that person in a loving way. Pray first. Pray and ask God to change your attitude towards them. That's a good place. That's a way to treat them in a loving way. Then just begin treating them with patience and kindness, not being rude and believing all things. And you know, you notice this in other areas of life where where your your feelings can follow your actions. I don't mean that you just again just do good deeds and because you can do good deeds without love. But I, I I mean, you do the loving thing as a starting place, and the Lord may. Grow in your heart more compassion. Meet their needs. Forgive their wrongs against you. Overlook offenses. Put their interests ahead of your own. Really patiently listen to them and aim to understand their, what they're saying and their views. 
Assume the best about them. Be considerate and kind to them. Reach out to them and affirm your love for them. Write a note of encouragement saying how you've seen evidence of God's spirit at work in their life. So just do, do treat them in a loving manner. That, that doesn't mean if somebody invites you to lunch today that they hate your guts. And that's not the point. Um, uh, but, but think about, is there a person that you really have, really struggle to love? Begin treating them in a loving manner. Right now, maybe it is praying. Love is worth pursuing, brothers and sisters. It's got to be not just the pursuit of a few individuals in our church. This is our, our pursuit. It's, it's, We've got to go after it. Colossians, I'll end with this. Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14. Paul tells these believers, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And then he says in verse 14, And above all these, which we already have seen, these are aspects of love, but he says, Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let's pray. Father, I pray that love wouldn't be a casual hobby for us as a church, but it would be a passionate pursuit. That if we're known for anything, I pray that it would be our love for one another. And so God, deepen, uh, deepen that love, widen it, widen its reach. Um, if there's a type of people, a type of person we have difficult love, difficulty loving, show us that and Help us to confess that to you and seek to change. If there are particular individuals that we struggle, God, help. If there's a relationship that's really soured and is, needs, needs repair, God, we can't, we can't change the other person's heart, but we can change how we relate to them. And so, Lord, Lord, work. Do, be active, God. And, and even as we sing these words of Christians' hearts and love united, God, may this vision of of what you've called us to to be this community that we've been talking about now for eight weeks god may just sink this down deeper into our souls god so that we can really see the the expression of that community more and more clearly increasingly in this church we ask in jesus name amen